Okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to sit in on the recording, the live recording of the Pacers Pace the Nation podcast, please join us in the Runners Conference area right now. It begins momentarily. All right, what's up everybody? This is Pace the Nation. We are broadcasting live from the Marine Corps Marathon Expo. It's Marine Corps Marathon Race Weekend. Uh, we are thrilled to be here. I'm Chris Farley. Alongside me to my right is Tess Strike. Here Tess. we go again. Here we go again. And William E. Dox is over in the corner. William? Farley, I like these uh, wireless microphones. I've been watching you all day, hoping you would fall off the stage, wandering around up there. We got close. I, we got a full lunge. I, I ha, you know, I, I, I think we got to upgrade to wireless microphones uh, at the yeah. studio. I think this yeah, is yeah. really. You'll wander out in traffic, looking at your phone. What you can't see off air is that Docs is in the corner alone, not on a wireless microphone. No, yeah, I'm connected. Yeah, he's connected. Uh, he's running the board for us. Uh, for those who are listening and wondering what we're doing, uh, we are a weekly podcast called Pace the Nation. We're sponsored by Pacers Running, and we are partnered with the Marine Corps Marathon this year. Uh, we've got some great guests on today's program. We've got race director Rick Nealis. We've got Roger Robinson, who is uh, an uh, author and a, an unbelievable Masters runner, um, mm -hmm. amongst other things. And then... Uh, we are highlighted, but the show is highlighted by having Catherine Switzer, uh, who was the first official Boston Marathon participant. Living legend. Living legend. So we'll have all them on the program. Uh, and so some of you guys might be wondering, well, didn't you just have those guys? Well, the Docs, magic is, of a, editing. Doc, Docs <laughs> is a master editor, and he's going <laughs> to figure out how to make this the first segment of the show uh, as, we, as we broadcast live from, from Marine Corps. So... It's Marine Corps weekend, my favorite time of the year. Docs, the weather tomorrow is going to be unbelievable. 40-ish degrees at the start. Perfect. The weather is, is, is raining a little bit now, but the, weather, the, the, the rain will get out of here. And we're going to have a perfect day for, uh, for running. Yeah, we're predicting big things. We are pr we're predi pr predicting big things. So I'm super excited about Marine Corps uh, and... and, and this, of course, comes out on Wednesday, so I hope everybody had a great, great experience. Uh, I wanted to share some of my favorite Marine Corps marathon uh, uh, memories as we, as we sit here at the Expo. Uh, I grew up in Arlington, and as everybody knows who listens to the podcast, I'm a huge, huge fan of Arlington. Uh, talk about Arlington all the time. The Marine Corps marathon starts and finishes in great Arlington County, and I grew up watching my dad run. Uh, the, the Marine Corps Marathon four times. I've got a, a pictures of, of him running in 19, I got a picture of him running in 1979 that we're going to tweet out at Pace the Nation. I've also got a couple of his finisher certificates that he did in 1979 and 1980. So the race back then had 5,000 or so runners. 
it's, it's quite a change here. Um, as we look at 5,000 or so people who are sitting here listening to our podcast. Yeah, there's 5,000 people trying to get a t-shirt right now. <laughs> I know, so so it's, it's obviously a big difference. But uh, some of my favorite memories, other than uh, my, my, you know, watching my dad run growing up, uh, I ran the race in 2001, 2003, 2006, 2009. I was trying to recount all the times I did it. Um, I just think it is, is such a scenic, beautiful marathon like no other. And I've done, you know, again, well documented on this show, a marathon every year. And, and this is my absolute favorite because of the scenery, the monuments, the pageantry, the, the military, the Marines who just run this show like no other. Um, so, you know, specifically for me, I, I remember um, uh, my 2003 race. I had uh, my buddies uh, get the, uh, the George Mason cheerleaders to cheer for me at mile 21. And they started a chant of, let's go, Chris, and that I could hear from about a half mile away. So uh, I don't know if Docs was part of that group who helped. Uh, I, I would not have been there supporting you. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, so, so there's that, that sort of, th those, those sort of things are, are, are things that I remember most. Now, Docs... Um, you, you weren't out there supporting. You haven't done Marine Corps. I've signed up for it once. You've but signed up for it. Unfortunately, uh, I got injured that year. So, and I've, so you're, I've, you're, I've never run it. I, I did go out. I don't know if I should admit this. I did go out and run 10 miles with somebody once. Yeah, so you can't do that anymore. Yeah. No, ba no. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that <laughs> no. was back, back when there was only 5,000 runners. Right, right. <laughs> Things were different then. So you did that. Uh, yeah. So that, that's a good memory. Tess, any, any memories from Marine Corps? I get to dust off my cowbell every year, which okay. is my only excuse. It sits on my shelf. It has my little college logo on it, and it's white. And I love hanging out at the finish line because yes. um, I also live in Arlington County. It's like two miles from my house, so I'll hoof it down there and stand out there with my dual cowbells. Right. Um, and last year I got to cheer on my friend's boyfriend, Josh, who is a service member. He's a Navy vet, and he ran his first marathon last year. And he's not a runner. This isn't his hobby. He doesn't do this for fun. And he suffered big time. But his girlfriend is a marathoner. And so she got him all the way through the finish. And they finished together. And it was just awesome to see them come through the finish line together. That's awesome. Well, a lot of great stories from Marine Corps. Um, just one more from me as uh, we are excited to be the official uh, running store. Of, the Pacers is excited to be the official running store of the Marine Corps Marathon. We'll be selling at the finish line tomorrow. Um, before we were officially selling at the finish line, uh, Brooks was kind enough to give us a lot of the Marine Corps Marathon gear. I'm, I'm wearing one of the shirts in, in, in previous years. Um, my business partner, Kathy, has an apartment like right at the finish line. So we would take a rolling rack and sell right off of the, uh, right by, by the finish line. Again, I, I don't know who from Brooks is listening or it's your unofficial bootleg t-shirt yeah, so but it was, official it gear. was like an official it was a bootleg effort for an official piece of gear so that was one of my favorite memories and i'm thrilled we're going to be actually officially at the at the uh at the finish line tomorrow maybe not if they hear that we were actually doing that well now it's official it's right. graduated it was, yeah we, we've come clean with a lot of stuff in this intro <laughs> we have yeah all right i, this I feel better about it all right, this is the Pace the Nation podcast. I want to thank the guys from Marine Corps, uh, Mark, for helping us uh, be part of, of the program today. Of course, uh, Rick Nealis and Sandra, who've, who've helped out. All the, all the group at Marine Corps have been awesome. 
Uh, we're going to take a quick break and be, uh, and then we're going to sit down first with uh, Catherine Switzer. So we're going to take a quick break and talk to marathoning legend Catherine Switzer right after this. Welcome into the Pace the Nation podcast, live recording here at the Marine Corps Marathon. Pace the Nation is a podcast locally here. We are a weekly show sponsored by Pacers Running. Uh, we talk about running and other stuff. We tell inspiring stories of runners. And today we've got one of the most inspiring stories out there running-wise. So we are thrilled to be here. And before we get started with Catherine Switzer, I want to introduce a couple of my co-hosts. Uh, behind the curtain was William E. Docks. So he's running the board behind the curtain. And, and I have my, a microphone. And he's got a microphone as well. So uh, he may chime in with a question or two. And then to my left here, it's uh, Tess Strike. She's, Great to be here. She's a, she's a co-host, a regular co-host of Pace the Nation. And uh, we'll get to our guest in, in, in one second here, but just want to thank um, Marine Corps for allowing us to do this. Uh, big thanks to uh, Rick Nealis, who we're going to have on the show in a little bit, uh, to Mark and to Sandra for helping us make this possible. Uh, it's a, again, we are a weekly podcast, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you find uh, your podcast, you can find us. So without further ado, because... Catherine's got plenty of, of, of people to talk to and autographs to sign. We're going to get to uh, talk to Catherine Switzer. Welcome, Catherine. How are you? Absolutely great. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for a little bit of your time. I, I wanted to start off, um, you know, you've told your story all day, and everybody knows the story of the Boston Marathon. Such an inspiring story. But running for you started locally here, right? You know, uh, most people who are from this area will uh, know Dunloring in Vienna, Virginia. I was raised in Dunloring. Um, I started uh, sc uh, elementary school there, I believe, in sixth grade. And because uh, we moved from Chicago, my dad was in the Army. He was based at the Pentagon. And um, it was my dad who encouraged me at 12 to begin running a mile a day. It was phenomenal because, you know, most uh, dads didn't encourage their little girls to run. But we had something new in our high school, which was James Madison High School. Uh, and it was a, called a field hockey team. <laughs> and, but that was, you know, we were so lucky to even have this girls team. But the, the point is this, is we didn't have middle schools. And so I was a 12-year-old going to high school. And um, that was really scary, going to eighth grade. And, um, and actually the mile a day gave me the sense of empowerment that I could do anything and that I was strong and I could resist all kinds of weird behaviors of other people. Uh, and I learned to, to play field hockey and it, it, it changed my life. I played a lot of sports, but it was the running that made the difference. Well, you have inspired women and, and, and been a, such an advocate for, for women in sports. Uh, her, her website is 261fearless.org. It's a nonprofit. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but you started running when you were 12 years old, a mile a day. You obviously run the Boston Marathon and have this incredible story. And, and, and we've, we've talked about that a lot today. Uh, but then after that, you've made your life as an advocate for women and, and really have changed uh, things for women in, in running and other sports. When did you realize that was going to be your mission in life? 
Uh, I realized it was going to be my mission in life when I crossed Heartbreak Hill in the 1967 Boston Marathon. By that time, I had ceased being angry at the official who attacked me in the race, and I realized it was going to be up to me to f figure out a way of changing his mind. And then I realized that's not important. The, the important thing is to change women's minds because they needed to realize that they would feel so great and empowered like I did, and they didn't they weren't participating because they were afraid. And, and the myths that surrounded women's sports in those days were, were considerable, and, and, and women didn't want to take the chance. They were afraid of doing things, and consequently, they didn't have the courage to do a lot of other things in life. And we're now finding, of course, you know, running is transformational. It gives us the feeling we can do anything. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to get that to women. I didn't know how I could do it, but I knew that that was the goal. And, 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 that, been, and that happened in the Boston Marathon. You've been so successful doing that. You know, we've reached a point where 58% of marathoners in the United States are women. So we're in the majority. We've gotten there. What's next? What barrier do you think still needs to be broken? You know, just like an athlete who succeeds at something, um, you know, you get a, 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 a BQ and then you get another PR and then you break three hours or whatever. You realize there's so much left to do if you want to keep achieving. I realized um, when we got the women's marathon into the Olympic Games that it was very, very important now to reach out to women in countries who didn't have the ability to get an education or were restricted socially, religiously, culturally. They really had to have the courage somehow to take the first step. And how is this going to happen? Well, sometimes when you think about those things, the answer comes. And in this case, the weirdest possible way. My bib number in the Boston Marathon, 261, that the official tried to rip off of me, suddenly became this cult number, this magic number, meaning fearless in the face of adversity. And at first I said, what's happening? Why are these people sending me these pictures of themselves wearing 261 on their back or their tattoos, which is really scary. Yeah. And, I, and I thought, my God, they, they, they too have been told they're not welcome or uninvited and they can't do it. And then they go and they run and they can do it and they, ch and they change their whole mindset. So I said, we should start a nonprofit called 261 Fearless, creating clubs and meet runs and go out around the world and reach out to women who don't have any opportunities and help them take that first step. It's that simple. It's about empowering women around the world. And I think that that's one huge way, going person to person, women to women, village by village, country by country, we can change the world. Yeah. We've proved it before, we can do it again. And you have a chapter right here in DC, so we there's do. a local chapter. And right over there is Rosie Spraker wearing <laughs> 261 in her aqua jacket. She's in charge of 261 <laughs> Metro Washington, DC. I think this weekend at the Marine Corps Marathon, she must have recruited 200 more women. It was amazing. Well, I've listened to you speak a few times and you, know, you really hammer home to embrace adversity which I think is great. Like all these people out here who are going to run the marathon tomorrow, they're going to come at some point and face adversity, right? So why, why is it so important to embrace it? You almost crave adversity. You know, you have to bring it on to take the next step. A marathon always changes your life. Every single marathon you run is like going through another lifetime. It gives you a sense of, of what needs to be done, what, what you can overcome. And for instance, I talk about, let's say a really great example. It was last year's Boston, this year's Boston Marathon, 2018. It was like running in a tidal wave or a washing machine on the cold rinse cycle spin, okay? And, and people who did it and finished it will brag for the rest of their lives. I was at Boston in 2018. So, and it is a perverse and a very funny thing about runners anyway. Once they run something, then they've got to do it harder. 
pretty soon the person who's run a mile a day is now running a marathon. The person who runs a marathon has to run across the Sahara Desert. Right. They have to make it tougher, you know? Um, because we know it's challenging to test our limits. It's exciting and it's an exploration of the mind and the body that is um, very, very addictive, but very wonderful because it's also health giving and mind expanding. So are we there yet? We've got so many women out here uh, who are fearless, uh, who embody what you're doing with 261 Fearless and 200 people, more people signing up for that club or for that nonprofit today. Are we there yet? And if not, what's next? Okay, we, we are not there yet. We have, we, still more women in the world are in a fearful situation than women who are not. And so I think it's our moral obligation as women and humans really to help pull somebody along. Just one person, maybe. You know, if each of us took one person, we could make a huge change. But sometimes these women are in very difficult social and, and um, uh, cultural situations. I'm talking about the Mideast. I'm talking about North Africa. Sometimes there are huge issues of poverty um, and disease. And that, that's very, very important to try to overcome and work within a system like that. So we got a long way to go with that. But the other thing we need to do as women, as women, we really need to take more responsibility ourselves. You know, still too often we think, oh, poor me. And, and that's, that, it's time for that, put that behind you, ladies. You can run a marathon, you can do anything. A lot of women have said to me, well, why, why don't we have the popularity in women's soccer or basketball um, that, that we have in running? I said, when's the last time you bought a ticket? Have you bought a ticket to a women's professional basketball game? Your family thinks nothing about buying a season ticket for the local college, for the family, for the men's. Why? And they go, golly, I never thought of that. That's the kind of thinking we have to start thinking about. I'm so glad you brought that up because there's also this gap between not just participating in something, but being a leader in that field. There's a gap in how many women coach, how many women are athletic directors, race directors. What would you say to folks who maybe are looking to take that next step and take on that leadership role? You know, I, I think in terms of coaching, we've got a unique situation because with women, let's face it, they take the majority of the load with the childcare. And so if you're going to be a coach at a collegiate level, let's say, a, a university level, you're gone every weekend and you have a lot of late nights. Um, who's going to watch the kids? So you're going to have to figure out that work-life balance and make that happen. On the other hand, the institutions themselves have to come to the party. But I think that it's, it's time for women who have, who have reached a really great coaching level and then quit. I think it's time for us to go with the coaches to the universities and say, hey, we've got to make this work better. Because all of a sudden we see you know, all the women's teams are coached by men. And, and, and then the women themselves you know, say, oh, poor me. Well, let's come on. We can, we're, we're smart enough to figure it out. We can do this. Well, you are all about action. And you are super busy still. I saw you were in Portland a couple days ago with your husband. I mean, so you're all over the place promoting, promoting this, which is fantastic. So where are you headed next? After What are you doing for tomorrow? Are you running the race tomorrow? What are you doing tomorrow? And where, what's, where are gotta, you heading next? I, gotta I do overcommit. You know, my, my, <laughs> husband, my husband says every night, Kate, it's time you realize that you physically cannot be in two places at once. Well, I do a pretty good job. With We're going to talk to him about that next here. So, yeah, I know, but he loves me anyway. Of course. And, and, um, and, and I wish I did do better with this. But 
Um, it, it is crazy. I mean, I'm going yeah. to tomorrow help start the race, but then I've, I'm turning right around and I'm flying out to San Francisco and doing a speech for Intel. I do a lot of big corporate speeches, um, which is really important, you know, to get out of the running genre and get into corporates. Um, and then from there, I'm coming back to the New York City Marathon. We got a team of two six oneers, 17 women running the New York City Marathon, raising money for the cause. And from there, I turn right around and wait for it. I fly to Spain for the half marathon in San Sebastian. <laughs> and, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll take a couple of days and walk on the Camino. And I said, you know, if I don't, if I walk on that Camino, my husband's not going to be home when I get home. <laughs> Well, you're, you, you've got a full schedule. You've got a line of people waiting for you, so we're going to let you go. It's been a thrill to have you on our podcast. Uh, again, we're Pace the Nation. You'll be able to download this show on Wednesday this next week, so check us out on iTunes, on Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the great Catherine Switzer. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you for having me, you guys. All right, there Thank she you goes. So much. Catherine Switzer on Pace the Nation. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. All right, welcome back to the program. And now we are excited, Docs and Tess, to be joined by, you know, it's, I want to, I don't know if I should introduce him as Catherine Switzer's husband or, it's, it's Roger Robinson. Roger, how are you? All right. Very, I'm very well, thank very you. Very, well. I'm, so, very, I'm very glad to be on. Well, well thank you for joining us. And, and that's not an okay, I mean, you're Catherine Switzer's husband, but that's not how you wanted to be introduced, of course, right? Well, I've been, I've had some reputation in this sport of course. for about 60 years. So. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Well, he does. Uh, we're going to talk about When Running Made History by Roger Robinson. It's a book he's, uh, that is just recently come out. Is that true? Yeah, it came out in May. Okay, it came May out in May. Year. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Well, I, I uh, was reading about you last night, and one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk to you about, or one thing that stood out to me, was how well you did into your 40s racing and running, which was unbelievable. You were an amazing runner uh, throughout your career, but then into your 40s, as a 42-year-old guy who's still trying to get out and run marathons, I was just blown away what you did in your 40s. What, like, what was your time in the marathon at, at 44? At 44, I, that, that's when I won Boston at Boston Masters and set the Boston Masters record, which was 2.20.15. Wow. But I'd done a 2.18 at 41. Wow. But, but when you said I'd always been a great runner, it wasn't quite true. I was a slow starter. Okay. I, mean, I always loved running, but I was only at high school. I was, you know, pretty good, but not very good. And at university, I was at Cambridge University at a time when our team was incredibly strong. Right. And one way of putting that is number three in the cross-country team was an Australian called Herb Elliott. We've heard instance. of Herb. Yeah. You've, you've heard of him. Yep. So he was only number three. I mean, that's right. how strong it was. Wow. And I couldn't even make the A team right. when I was at Cambridge. So, so I was a useful runner, enthusiastic. I kept running, and I was lucky that I slowed down more slowly than most people. So I was still running pretty well into my 40s. But then... I'd, I'd been a track and road runner and cross country runner more than anything. And when I got, I was 40, yes, I was 40 and I was in America and everybody was talking about the marathon. Right. And the, the marathon for me had been just a kind of eccentric possibility, which I might do sometime, but we didn't, it wasn't central. The things that we really cared about were 
the national cross country and maybe making the England or later the New Zealand team in cross country. And suddenly in America, people would say to you, not what was your best place in the national, which is what, how runners would measure each, right. each other in England or New Zealand. They would say, what's your best marathon time? And I say, well, I have no run a marathon. I was 41 <laughs> years old. So that's when I ran New York at 41 and, and ran a 2.22 for the first time. That's, that's incredible. I mean, that's a pretty good debut, especially at uh, 41 years old. So as, as, us, as we get older, like what were the keys for you to run such fast times and, and then later, even three years later, run 2.18? Like what was it for you? The, the key for running the fast time. Now, this is different from if you're talking to just anybody who just wants to keep running, mm -hmm. you know, and, and keep running right. at a non-competitive level. You said, how, how can you run really fast? You just keep on doing the training. It's the same training, essentially, that works. I, I see it as being quite simple. You just need the balance between the long running, enough, enough endurance work, and enough quality work. You know, running consists of running fast for a long time, so you need those two elements, fast and long. And if you put those two in, you can't expect to race well if you never train at race pace. Right. It's really very simple. And so right. I've always, the essence of my training has always been long intervals, as I call them, or repeats, you might call them. So intervals, five minutes, or you could go out, if you want to do it by distance, five times a mile, or five times a K, or five times two miles, you know, three, that, that, that kind of mixtures. Those long intervals where you're operating at race pace or a bit above. And then my other principle, if, we're in, if your listeners are interested yes. in training, yep is the other principle that I've developed is what I call the quantity of quality, which means if you're going to race, if your 10K time is, say, 35 minutes, you're going to race for 35 minutes, you need to train for 35 minutes. Got it. So that means your interval session needs to be seven by five minutes, say. And you, can't, you don't do that straight away. You start with three, and then you do four, and then you do five, and you build up until by close to the race, you know, three weeks before the race, you're doing that quantity of quality quantity of quality i like that um so take us back to the boston marathon where you were the first master uh running 218 was it as amazing of an experience as that i that, that i'm envisioning it must have been incredible well the the weather that year 1984 uh was the worst i think until this year <laughs> so it, it was it, it was pretty similar, you know. I was wearing a hat and polyprop and not tights because I could never quite bring myself to do that. But, but um, gloves, and I took the gloves off, and then I didn't quite throw, dare to throw them away. I had to put them back on again later. I mean, it was cold and horrible, and it was kind of sleety and and, and haily. Uh, yeah, it was a great experience because. So you have to think of my generation. Running had been for a few little eccentrics, you know, a few skinny, nerds, few skinny nerdy guys that weren't any good at football, you know. And, and if you got 60, it was a big field. And then I started to come to America, and suddenly it's, there were thousands of people in these races. And, and the whole thing was this gigantic celebration. And that's one of the things I write about in, in the book, in When Running Made History. There's a chapter on the running boom. And I said, and this sounds like a joke, but it's not. It's actually very serious. America invented the idea of a road race as a party. Mm -hmm. We it hadn't thought of that. You know, a road race for us was a race. And you, you, know, you left your gear under a wet bush. And, and then as soon as it was finished, you, 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 you went off. And it was all over and done with. And, and there was no food and no balloons and no, and no you know, razzmatazz. All the things that America does so well. And it combined 
and you know, archways of balloons at the finish, and it, the whole thing it had a sense of significance and celebration and festivity that was new to me. You know, I loved running, but it was kind of, if you like, doer and businesslike, and we got on, we enjoyed it, but this whole festive dimension was something that was American and real contribution, and that's, that's what enabled the sport to take off. So you don't have expos like this back in the day, but you've seen this generational Unthinkable, shift. absolutely unthinkable. <laughs> and one of the things that I record in the book, and I'm the first to do that, is the, is the growth of running not just as a sport, but as an industry. With things like the running photography business, the running travel business, uh, shoes and apparel, and all the stuff that this expo is yeah, full I of. Yeah, I mean, I have, I, I own running stores. I there mean, you it, it would have never been existed yeah. before. So, well, and you, in that case, you were important because you provided not only the commercial outlet, the retail out, outlet, but also the social center that was very important in American right. running, because running stores became the place, the go-to place for runners. It's a center of information, often coaching advice, hanging out, finding out where the next race was. They were really important in the story. Well, the story is when running made history by Roger Robinson, it takes you through 60 years of significant moments in running. Uh, I got to read this book. So tell me uh, some other highlights from the book, some, some, some things that stand out. Why would we want to read it? People say, which, which is your favorite chapter? And yeah. I say, well, I'm a runner. <laughs> So my favorite chapter is the one that describes a race that I won. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Of course. Ask any runner. They'll always tell you about their best yeah. race. So th in that case, that was the last chapter of the book, which is about running for older people. Yeah. And I started it by describing this really great race I had for the World Masters Over 50 Championship 10K. And in Masters Championships, you never know who's going to turn up because you come from all around the world. And this one was in Eugene, Oregon. And my great rival that day was an Irishman called Jim McNamara, right. who I'd never met before, barely heard of. And we just beat the hell out of each other and had a brilliant race, which I won. So I remember every step of it. Uh, so those, those are fun to, 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 to recall. And then sure. I used that race as a way of saying how running for older people, we were 50 and we were still fully competitive. Running for older people is something which is changing the way society sees seniors. It's just we're not yep. seeing people as having now to be put, sort of put out to grass and put in a wheelchair. We can have active 70 and 80 and 90 year olds. And that's something new and running is leading it. Another example, you asked me for some. Yep. And in a way, one of the seeds of the book was when Catherine and I were invited in 1990 to the Berlin Marathon. And that was the first Berlin Marathon that went through both parts of the city. Wow. Because the wall had just yep. come down. Three days later, Germany became reunited. But what I describe in the book is that it was the marathon that was the real celebration. The Germans themselves, three days later, because they had seen what mass jubilation could lead to, so they were not quite ready to go there. The runners could let it all hang out. It was the runners who went through the Brandenburg Gate, and they, they hugged and they touched the walls and they cheered and they yelled and, and, they, and I said I've never been kissed by so many soggy bearded Europeans <laughs> as at that great. time so I realized that day and that became the seed of the book that running has become something more than just a sport running has become a way in which a whole community in that case a whole nation or a whole, the whole western world celebrated freedom and that marathon did it better than the fireworks and better than Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and all the other things and that's continued to be the case. So if you want 
to celebrate something like the 100th Boston Marathon or this race, the, the Marine Corps Marathon, celebrating this kind of conjunction between the military and civilian society and making an annual celebration of that. Running is a brilliant way of doing it. It's also a brilliant way of commemorating or mourning or surviving as this marathon and the New York Marathon did in 2001 after 9-11. No events of any kind were more important than those two marathons. And that's to say, that's why I say running made history. That's what I mean by the title of the book. So those, those are examples of, of what I'm writing. It's not all gloom, it's, it's celebrations as well, but there are these occasions when running becomes, as it was for the ancient Greeks, a form of, a form of mourning and of affirming life and saying, okay, something really tough has happened, we'll come to terms with it, we'll move on. So you've been to Berlin immediately following the fall of the wall, capital of Germany, now we're in the capital of the United States here for Marine Corps Marathon. What do you see as the significant part of this race? It runs through Arlington, it runs through DC, it loops all the way around the whole city. What is the significance of the Marine Corps Marathon? This race is extraordinary because it's put on by the military in the, national, in the nation's capital. Mm -hmm. And put it this way, if you want to celebrate a nation's strength, very often you'll get a parade of the military, which civilian society watches. Tomorrow we're going to see it the other way around. We're going to see a parade of civilian society, right. which the military enables, organizes, Supports. watches, and supports. Now that's a very interesting that's concept. That's cool. That's a good way to. I've, yeah. I've never so, thought of so it. So I way. think that's that's what, and, you, and you're doing that right through what the, the the grand monuments of one of the world's great capitals, which makes that statement as well about this society. And it occurred to me, you know, thinking about this whole conjunction, that you could say that the function of the military is to win battles, but the real mission of the military is to enable civilians to be safe and free. And so that's in a way, you know, this race symbolizes that better than Love anything it. else you can think of. Love it, Good, great answer. All right, finally, um, Roger, how's running for you in your 70s? Is it good? It's on and off. <laughs> because twice a knee is worn out. Yeah. So I was running, I was, I, when I first came into my 70s, I wasn't running well because the, the right knee hurt so badly. And then finally I got that replaced. And, I, and after a couple of years, I started to run well. And then I was winning my age group. And I won American championships wow. in the over 75 age group. And I was running, say, 22 minutes for 5K, uh, 46 minutes for 10K, for, which at 75 was not bad. But then the other knee suddenly wore out. Oh, man. <laughs> so, and interesting that it, it was sudden. And I talked to the surgeon about it, and I said, it seemed, is this, is this right? It's almost like when you have a tire that's, that's wearing out, the, the, it bursts suddenly, right. but actually it wasn't sudden. It was actually a long, slow process. And he said, anyway, that knee and I are currently in a process of negotiation okay. about, about whether it's going to become a serious competitive knee. And I'm working on it. I love it. Well, you're, you are going to continue on no matter what and going to per per persevere through the adversity. That's awesome. 
Uh, thank you so much. The book is When Running Made History by Roger Robinson. I'm going to get it. I can't wait to read it. Um, love, love, love the idea. 60 years of significant moments. Uh, go out and get it wherever books are sold. Uh, Roger, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining thank us. Thank you very much. All right, there thank you for the hospitality. There he goes. Roger Robinson, the great Roger Robinson, joined us on Pace the Nation. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. All right, welcome back to the program. And now, Test Docs, we are excited to be joined by the man in charge of everything here, race director, Rick Nealis. Rick, how are you? <laughs> Gonna have to hold the mic a little bit. I love your energy. All right. Um, but but uh, yeah, hold the mic right there is good. I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's good to be here with Pacers Nation. Yes, thank you. Know, you. I, thank I, you. Because this morning, we had 3,600 kids brave the cold and the rain. <laughs> I know. And they are the future of our sport. So all you runners tomorrow, get that stuff out of your head about it's going to be cold or windy. <laughs> the kids, they t showed us how to do it. They did, and they did it on the tough day. Now, you dialed up, so we're, we're sitting here. Uh, this podcast will be released to the audience, to the listeners on Wednesday of next week, so the race has already happened. But you dialed up some good weather for Sunday, man. you got to be excited about that. Well, if this is going to go Wednesday right. and you're going to listen to it on Wednesday, then happy Halloween. Right. It is going to be Halloween. you got it. <laughs> Look at me. Yep. I you figured that out all by myself. You got Farley, Farley cannot figure out the space-time continuum of the release. This I is can't. amazing that you got that, it. That Rick's got it in his, <laughs> yes. in his second time on the show. So the weather is going to be awesome. It's going to be a great day. Um, Really excited to, to talk a little bit about Marine Corps, but before we do that, Rick, um, you you, well, you, you want to go you want to go back to the weather? No, 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 no. no. I just wanted to talk to okay. you about you were you were on a, a trip recently where uh, I wanted you to recall for our audience on a trip recently where you you ran a marathon yourself. Where where'd you go? Well, I went to Tallinn, mm -hmm. Estonia, Est Estonia, right? And last year's finisher's medal, the Eagle Globe and Anchor, was nominated and awarded best medal in the world. Wow, that's awesome. So the medal on Tamar, we never talk about it, but since you, this is Wednesday this is an and you already have it, <laughs> I know. then you probably know what it is, so I might be able to talk about it. That's right. This is an exclusive here, Docs. No, I love it. Okay. I love it. <laughs> I think somebody's saying, no, you can't talk about it. Well, I'll just talk about it. It, it is an awesome medal. It's a one of a kind. We've taken to the next level. You probably know about the medal does open. The yep, globe. Of course. First couple years, people, three months, four months, five months later, <laughs> they didn't know it opens. It opens like a locket. The door on the locket is hollow. That's where you normally put the race director's photo. For <laughs> mm -hmm. Why are they laughing? Why are they laughing? No. But on the right side, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. All right. So, so the inspiration came from this, this marathon that you ran in Estonia? Oh, yes. He, he yeah. wants to give me talk yeah. about Estonia yeah. and my run. Yeah. Well, the, the run was a combination of sightseeing, walking, a little bit of racing, 
and I think some of the miles was probably the, the dancing we were doing at night. So I know I might have said on Facebook that I ran, but uh, it was a combination of things. Is it strange to be on the other side of that equation? You put on races professionally. Are you walking through water stops like, man, they did not do this right? Or can you actually check out of that headspace and just enjoy the run? No, no more. <laughs> the, the mind is always going. I was up in Baltimore last week for the Baltimore Marathon, yeah. and I was just checking it out, trying to see what Baltimore does. And somebody tripped on the cord to the generator to the arch. So the arch is coming down on these runners as they're going across. Now, it has happened to me in the past. And as that was happening, I was like, lesson learned. You know, right, that's right. why you block it off. And if you, when the arch comes down, it's heavy. So the most important thing is they are knees buckling because this thing, but the runners won't stop. They're like, <laughs> right, right. it was like the craziest thing. Somebody put the cord back on and they went back up and, I, and they came over and they said, well, how come you didn't help? I said, <laughs> hey, this is Corrigan's deal. This isn't you, man. I was filming it. <laughs> right. Blackmail. Right. Well, so you do have a more critical eye. Which is which is oh, you've you've done the you've done the Marine Corps Marathon 26 years so you've developed a critical eye you put on an amazing event I, I want I don't know if you have your glass I want to show you a picture of my dad finishing the 1979 marathon so that was him running the Marine Corps Marathon before you were the race director I think that's just and we'll tweet out this picture uh, at Pace the Nation I think that's the finish line. That so, is the finish line, the curb. So this race has come a long way since my dad ran, uh, and, and it also says it's it. it he was a uh, he was one of five thousand uh, six thousand seven hundred forty three runners. So a lot has changed over the past you know twenty six years since you've been the race director. Um, well, I don't know if anybody else picked it up. Doc, did you pick it up? No. Why, why did he start that? <laughs> with put your glasses on. <laughs> no, what was that about? I, I, I saw. What? I heard that too. Yeah, I yeah. know that was a shot. I don't know what that was all about. Yeah. Hey, what are you saying? I'm old. I can't see. I, I think that. I think yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm being. I don't know. I don't know what's so, happening here. That's so what's happening here. To be fair, the only person up here wearing glasses is in their twenties. Right. So that's it's, it's working out well. That's all true. Right. So the question was, you've come a long way in your 26 years. You've got to be proud of that. The finish line is much different. And again, we'll tweet out this picture. Uh, the, the amount of finishers, the pageantry and everything that we were just talking to Roger about in here is just incredible. I mean, it's, Are we it, going to talk about Oprah? It's, it's amazing. I mean, we've talked about Oprah, and you can go back a few episodes and listen to Rick on the previous episodes. That was one. I mean, if Sandra would give us enough time, we'd talk about Oprah. But, I mean, there is so much. Do you much. want to talk about Al Gore? So, Al Gore. All right. I don't, I'm not sure we've talked about Al Gore. So the race, has, the race has grown so much to the point where an Oprah or an Al Gore is, is part of the race. Are there any luminaries, any big-time uh, runners this year? If you're running tomorrow, history is going to be made because mm -hmm. there's of uh, the greatest generation. The official starter for tomorrow's race is Chief Warrant Officer 4, Herschel Woody Williams. Medal of Honor recipient, wow. the only American Marine living that has the Medal of Honor. He received that medal at Iwo Jima, so the finisher. When you're looking at those six Marines putting that flag up on Mount Sauerbachi, 
this individual who's starting your race is 95 years young. Wow. And he was about 1,000 yards from that flag raising. And he talks about seeing the two flags go up. And then he went back to business. And he took out about four or five pillboxes with a flamethrower that day and continued the, the offensive for the, uh, you know, the United States Marines. An American hero legend. Wow, that's very cool. So that's a, that is a luminary, and that's a great... Uh, a great example of someone who will be out there as your official starter. All right, so what to expect this year, Rick? Um, there's always changes. You're always switching it up. The course is always a little bit different. Um, one thing that I think is really cool is you've got a blue mile at, uh, in Haynes Point, and that's always a tough part of the course, right? So talk to us about what's going on there. Well, he mentions the blue mile. I'm going to tell you. This is not New York, Chicago, Boston. New York, they're talking about Central Park. They're talking about the five boroughs. Mm -hmm. Chicago, Lake Michigan, Yep. Uh, it's a fast course. Boston, it's a point to point. Hopkinton, you know, Beantown. Forget all that stuff. This is Marine Corps. Where do we start? We talk about history. We start at the Arlington Cemetery. Who does that? We finish in, in front of the Marine Corps War Memorial. Who does that? Who puts a, a blue mile from 12 to 13 yep. on the course? Every one of those other races, you're running fast and you want to get to the finish line. At Marine Corps, you want to look at those 2,200 Marines and please, just at one time, I thank them for their service. Right. They're thanking you for being out there. The Blue Mile is moving. There's all services, veterans who gave their life with American flag telling the history. So if you're running, slow down and take in the moment, the experience. There's nothing else like Marine Corps. Not only you do running, but you get history. That's awesome, good answer. Yeah, clap it up for that, very, very cool. Um, Rick, I, I was just thinking about all the things that you have to deal with, it's crazy. Let me just run through a list here. You've got police, park police, capital police, national, federal, Arlington, DC, okay, that's just, you know, police. You've got monuments, you've got bridges you're closing, you've got festivals in Crystal City, you've got sponsors, you've got runner tracking, you've got pace teams, you've got cheer zone, you've got to beat the bridge, you've got road closers, you've got road openings, you've got traffic, you've got the expo today, you mentioned the kids run today. You've got the 10K, you've got water stops, timing the race, you're catching cheaters, the awards ceremony, NBC Washington's there. You're running through the nation's capital. I, I, my head hurts. I mean, seriously. You, how, how, you, do you, how do you deal with it all? Well, the most important, he left out generals. The generals, yeah. I work for a that's general. Really, that's really what you, your biggest concern is, right? It would be my biggest concern, but I'm going to share with you. Yeah. The last class of the basic school down at Quantico that never worked a Marine Corps Marathon in the month of October. The last class. So if this was started in 1976, that last class would be 1975. I get two companies of lieutenants, 500, 250 in each one, but the last one was my class. So there was no Marine Corps Marathon when I went through. And my name is Nealis. N-E-A-L-I-S. Yep. And the person who stood behind me for seven months, behind me, I was in front of him, was the Commandant of the United States Marine Corps, Bob Neller, N-E-L-L-E-R. 
So after 43 years, two lieutenants who went through the basic school will be on the start platform side by side. Only this time, I think I'm going to put the commandant in front of me. <laughs> just, just maybe a thought. Smart man. Smart. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, you deal with so much, man. Well, finally, uh, I know you got, I mentioned all the stuff he's, he's doing, so he's got to get back to work. But really appreciate your time. I wanted to touch on Al Richmond. Um, unbelievable, man. Uh, so uh, I, I know you've uh, been with Al the last couple days, and he retired after doing how many straight Marine Corps marathons? Al, Al Richmond was our remaining ground pounder. So he has done 42 wow. consecutive Marine Corps marathons. Unbelievable. Last night we retired number 43, the bib number 43. Uh, he would go out and do five, six-hour training walks, runs to get ready. And uh, he realized that the time has come to uh, retire. So he went out on his terms as, you know, a finisher and not having be out there and get on that straggler bus or be turned at the gauntlet, which would have been... You uh, end on top. You don't want to end up on the bus. You want yeah, to end on top. You, yeah. Anybody's out there, you don't want to be on that bus. And you're not going to be on that bus. You're, you're, you did the training. You're going to be fine. Well, Rick, uh, always love having Rick. He's a friend of the program. Always love having you on the on the show. Uh, fi and, and finally, so what do you? I, I I don't know. What do you do tomorrow? Like, what 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 does your day look like? Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. You have tomorrow. such great staff. Do you do anything? <laughs> I I can do anything. Yeah. My crystal ball. Yep. Is predicting. With a temperature at 46, 47. You dialed it up time. perfect, man. Going up to about 56, ideal running weather. So if I was running tomorrow, tomorrow is the day you want to make your move. The male course record is from 1988. Yeah. The female course record is from 1990. Olga Markova, a Russian sergeant, in that Russian army has my course record. I would like somebody to beat that 1990 so big times at 1988. So let's do it because all those other three races, they seem they, they have course records every year. <laughs> but we need, we need to break it. And for anybody that's listening right now, I know it's Wednesday. Yep. <laughs> so if you break the record, call me crazy, but I'm going to go throw in a dollar. All right. All right. All right. You heard Price it. money. You heard it. First time we're giving prize money. I'll match his dollar, so it'll be $2 <laughs> if he break the course record. All right. Well, he's got a lot to do. Rick, always a pleasure to have you on the show. You are the man. Rick Nealis, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. All right. And, let's, and have a round of applause for Tess. She was just awesome here today. She, she is awesome. Yes. Fantastic. Thanks to Rick Nealis for joining us on Pace the Nation. We're going to take a quick break. And be right back after this. All right, welcome back to the program. And thanks again to our three guests today. We had Catherine Switzer, Roger Robinson, and Rick Nealis all on the program. Um, just a quick recap of those three interviews, guys. Uh, all three A-plus quality interviews. Yes. Um, Legends, all legends. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, some were faster runners than other. We never really got a story out of Rick, like what, what happened at that. What was the final time in was, Estonia? Yeah, Estonia Marathon. I think he dodged the question from me, but um, great to have the race director on when, you know, he's, he's had zero sleep and... Uh, a little delirious? A little delirious, I'm sure, but uh, great to have all those three on. Do you want uh, to know what my takeaway from the interviews today was? What, what's that? When Roger said that America does balloons well. <laughs> they, they do. <laughs> They I do. learned something. <laughs> they do balloons. We do balloons well here. I mean, the pad. I, I I totally agree. I mean, the pageantry of I've talked about. You know, my my dad running in 1979, 1980, and and early on. I mean, the pageantry of the finish of the entire race mm-hmm. is. I mean, it's more than balloon stocks. But he said balloons. He specifically <laughs> said America does I, balloons I, well. They they excellent. They they do balloons very very well. Um, that's a great takeaway. Uh, my takeaway, Catherine, um, amazing what uh, she has done and continues to do for the sport of running and particularly women. Definitely. Um, no, uh, I wouldn't be on this podcast if it wasn't for her. And it's, it's so tangible to yep. see her effect on, on the next generation and, and what she's done for women's running as a whole. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I got to give Tess props. Uh, great job. on Thank you. Uh, she, you know, Tess is kind of newer to the show if you haven't heard our show before. Fantastic job. Uh, didn't hear much from Docs as he was behind the curtain. You guys did great. Yeah, you will. <laughs> I'll give you both props. All right. Well, it was uh, great to sit down with all three. Uh, again, we wanted to, to, to introduce ourselves. Uh, we are Pace the Nation podcast, a weekly show uh, here in D.C., uh, give us a download. We are on on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, anywhere you download podcasts. Uh, type in Pace the Nation and, and you can find us. You'll find this show on Wednesday of next week. Uh, we, and then we've got some great guests. Uh, we've got some great guests, a couple of athletes who are running the Marine Corps Marathon 10K. We interviewed them yesterday. They're going to be on a future show. And, and if you, you haven't heard some of our, our previous guests, we've got you know, from inspiring stories of, of everyday average runners to Olympians on our uh, 100 and, 150, 170 some odd episodes. All right, guys, well done. It's tough to do a live broadcast, but I think uh, we, we did it. And we got there. We, we nailed it. So well, we did do it. We did. We did. Stop there. <laughs> well, yeah. with your creative editing, Docs, I'm sure it's <laughs> going to be fantastic. All right. For Test Strike, for Amy Docs, I'm Chris Farley. This has been Pace the Nation podcast here at the Marine Corps Marathon Expo. We'll see you next week.